0: Welcome in to Daily Faceoff Live, your go-to source for everything hockey. Live every weekday at noon Eastern. What's up, everybody? Welcome in to Daily Faceoff Live. It's a Thursday, October 20th edition. He's Mike McKenna, former NHL NetMinder, now Daily Faceoff analyst. Mike, how you doing? I cannot hear Mike. Mike is muted. Yeah, all good. Uh, we'll uh, get still can't hear Mike, but we'll roll into topic one. Uh, throw two minutes and 30 seconds up on the clock. This is the adventure and joy of doing this live, as the name would suggest Daily Face Off Live on Twitter, YouTube, as well as dailyfaceoff.com. And the idea, Mike, is our stars are fitting in. The guys that are big name acquisitions have been pretty big name players for the most part especially when you consider the damage that Matthew Kachuk has done with the Florida Panthers to this point. Four games, six points, a four-game point streak to open up his career with the Cats as they win over the Philadelphia Flyers on Wednesday night, handing the Flyers their first loss of the season. And, Mike, you know, when you take a look at Matthew Kachuk, who is potentially facing a lot of pressure, as Mike has totally – there he is. Mike is back. Matthew Kachuk was facing a lot of pressure this year. He's pretty much delivered in every which way to start the season for the Cats.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, And you always wonder about a player like Kachuk when he goes to another team after being able to perform with such good players around him in Calgary. You know, he's playing with Gaudreau. He's playing with Lindholm. Like, how's he going to transfer? Well, I think what you're really seeing is that Kachuk can really drive on his own, Frank. And look who he's been playing with, Sam Bennett, He's also been playing with Rudolfs Bowser's, who I don't think anybody expected to really take second line minutes with Kachuk. I think we all looked at it and thought Kachuk's going to play with Barkov. That's that's it. It's done. Well, it's given a bit of depth to that team. And, you know, where's Kachuk's shots coming from? Front of the net, where he always goes. Two goals, four assists, and six games for him. But what I really like, Frank, is that his shot attempts are right where they need to be. He's always been at the top of the NHL. uh, And then he's also third in penalty minutes drawn. Like, he's driving people crazy. And we really saw that. You know, for a couple nights ago against Buffalo, at the end of the game, when Kachuk had basically, if there was a Sabres jersey on, you were trying to get to Kachuk at the end of the game. He'd driven him absolutely crazy, uh, and, and I think that that's really the beauty of his game is that it's so well rounded. It's very rare that you get somebody with the combo of of skill, skill and grit, and it can bring both of those aspects. So, he hasn't lost any pace at all in Florida, and I think Kachuk's going to be able to continue that through the season.
0: So as we did our daily faceoff archetype rankings over the last couple of weeks, I had put Matthew Kachuk in a, in the most elite bucket or player classification category possible as franchise player. And a lot of people were saying, you're crazy. Why would you think that Matthew Kachuk is a franchise player? And the reason for that is exactly what you just mentioned. That rare combination I think makes him an absolute unicorn in this league. He's Tom Wilson. But incredibly skilled, the ability to mm-hmm. pull off goals scored between the legs uh, in the last second of a game from distance. Uh, he, he's someone that does things that few players in this league can do. And when I think you had those same types of concerns when he left Calgary playing with really good players, would this guy be able to do some of it on his own? And I think, you know, again, early, and don't want to make too big of an overreaction, but the answer is yes, Matthew Kitchuk can do this on his own.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think that's where, like you said, like it's it's not just analytics community. It's eye test, man. Like watch him play. He's under the skin of opponents at all times, but he does everything at speed. It's just it's rare, man. Like him and Wilson are kind of in that grouping of guys that you can only hope that you can draft. Well, Florida managed to get Kachuk in a trade. So we'll see how that works out long term, obviously, how things go the rest of the year.
0: Yeah, maybe a little bit of a dip for the Florida Panthers in the short term, especially now without Mackenzie Wieger. And we'll talk about their defense coming up a bit in icebreakers. But uh, the Kachuk part certainly seems to be working out for the Cats. Let's talk about some other new guys who have fit in quite well. And Mike, when you take a look around the league, new faces, new places, who stood out to you in terms of being an ideal fit to this point?
1: I think Andre Burakovsky's done a great job so far at the Seattle Kraken and one of their big offseason acquisitions signed to a five year deal over five million bucks. But you bring in a player like that and you expect him to play number one first line minutes. And that's what Burakovsky's done. He's had two goals and three assists in five games. And, you know, for me, it's it's that Burakovsky, I think, has been the best all around player for Seattle. And a lot of that just has to do with him being pretty responsible five on five. Like his whole career with Washington and then with Colorado, he's been a plus player. I still believe in plus minus. Uh, he might be dash one with Seattle, but look at the rest of the guys in that club. Like they're they're going for the green jacket, Frank. A lot of players there with the Kraken. So um, I think he's been good like that in that way. But also look at what Burkoffs done on the power play. He's been a threat on the half wall on both sides with his shot, with his puck distribution. Um, I, I think he's been everything that... Seattle's expected. And yet another Colorado Avalanche castaway that seems to be playing pretty well right now.
0: Yeah, and when you win the Stanley Cup and there's a flat cap, you've really got to make tough decisions. And Burakovsky, obviously one that gets away to Seattle, their gain and the Kraken have been way more competitive. Probably no shock when you consider some of the pieces that they've added and also a Matty Beniers, for instance, hitting the ground running there in Seattle. Shane Wright also getting his first NHL point as well. But for me, the guy that stood out the most is Nazem Kadri. And a little bit on the other end of, of what might have been a really good fit, um, You know, he leaves Colorado also as a Stanley Cup cast-off, a guy that they simply couldn't afford to keep. And when you look at Kachuk and the success that he's had in Florida, he'll obviously be compared to Huberto. But the big question with Kadri and all those guys, Goudreau, Kachuk, Are you going to get back to the same level that you were previously producing at? And there's really no guarantee for any of them that have gone on to new places. But Kadri, to this point, you're saying, you take a look at his last season, 87 points, and he really just burst out in such a big way, a guy that was always sort of hovering in that 50 to 55, maybe in a good year, 60 points, and had you know 700 NHL games or close to it of track record to back that up, that it was like, This 87-point season, is it an aberration, or is this the new Nazem Kadri? And so I think the Flames are asking themselves that question. The Colorado Avalanche, as he's on his way out, they're asking themselves that question. Did we maybe just get the best season of Nazem Kadri possible? And I think, again, super early. We're three games in for the Calgary Flames, who haven't lost yet that they're in a spot with four points and three games for Kadri, that he's fit like a glove and a big reason why I think, Mike, this team can be better in the playoffs in the long run than they were last season.
1: And I'm starting to believe that, especially seeing the game against the Vegas Golden Knights. Nazem Kadri's matchup against the Mark Stone line with Chandler Stevenson, they dominated. Like Right now, Kadri's one of the best players in the NHL. Like Over the course of the last year and a half, I truly believe that. I don't know what happened. I don't know how his game went to that next level in that time frame. But I really think he's right there, Frank.
0: Yeah, so I was making my calls last night, Mike, uh, to uh, for the icebreaker segment to a number of different sources around the league. And got to talk about this next team, the J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Winnipeg Jets. Because I was on the phone with an NHL general manager. It was around game time. We were watching the game. And he goes, man, the Jets look really good. And I said, hey, that's probably because they had a really weird year last year and they're going to be a better team this year. I think they're going to be a playoff team. And he said, yes, I buy that. They beat the Colorado Avalanche last night in overtime. They scored goals at different strengths. They just look to me, and interestingly enough, to be a team, Mike, that we both had high expectations for last year. And you look at the way that this first week has unfolded. They've played a few fewer games than most other teams, but they've also been without their new head coach in Rick Bonus, And Scott neal has been the guy behind the bench, and yet they've looked pretty good so far to open up, uh, beating the defending Stanley Cup champs. What do you make of the Winnipeg Jets and their start?
1: Well, they look fast and they're skating and they're working pretty hard. And that happened at times last year, but they looked listless. You know, we both picked them to win the Stanley Cup. And, you know, honestly, I didn't see a big rebound coming from the Jets. I I didn't think the offseason was going to bring it, whether it was with Losses, acquisitions, but I, I do think that there's a couple of key ingredients. That first off, it's just a breath of fresh air. You've got a whole new staff in place, and for good or bad, sometimes that's a bump. I think Connor Hellebuck's played pretty well, but you know, look at some of the players that have stepped up a bit. Like Cole Perfetti was amazing last night. Frank, his line might have been the best for the Jets uh, with Wheeler and Dubois, and Perfetti's the only one that really benefited on the score sheet from it, but like that's what the jets needed like they needed some of their young talent to start to come in and he's a key piece to it and look at the games they've played they've beaten the rangers they've beaten the avalanche and if you're going to beat both those clubs man you gotta skate and they did you know so only loss of the seasons against dallas where um, you know hellebuck wasn't quite as good as he's been in the other games but he was great last night as well so uh, this is a team in, in winnipeg i'm intrigued by i'm not sure the lasting power of it frank but right now they do look faster and they do look like they're competing a lot harder than they did last season
0: count me as a believer i was saying before the season started one of my bold predictions they're going to be a playoff team i just think they find a way to bounce back and be that talented team that they we thought that they were they would be i want to ask you on the flip side of that the loss for the colorado avalanche we talked about some of the pieces that have been pried out of that lineup burakovsky Kadri, and now landis you don't have him for the next three months due to knee surgery that he underwent on Wednesday. When you take a look at that and you add all of it up, are are the abs in for some tough sledding here?
1: I don't think tough, but they're going to have to grind, Frank. You know, like There's going to be nights where games are going to be a lot closer. The last year or two, they've been able to come out and dominate first periods and just coast sometimes. I don't see that happening. I think the avalanche are going to have to be good through all 60 minutes, and I think there's going to be even more of a reliance on their power play because, to me, without those key pieces, the five-on-five scoring – isn't going to be quite at the same level as it was last
0: year. Yeah, I wanted to uh, give a shout out to Valerie Nachushkin. I was wondering with that contract that he signed in the offseason, would he get back to that level? The same conversation we were just having eight points mm-hmm. in four games for Big Val, five goals. Five goals. The guy has been wow. an absolute horse for the abs. Let's have a little fun and let's talk reverse retros. The NHL launching all 32 reverse retro jerseys for their clubs on Thursday morning. They've been met with some mixed reviews. And we're going to throw a graphic up there if we have it. There it is. Mike, give me your best and worst reverse retro in the league.
1: Well, the Columbus one, I can't figure out. It's black, navy, red. Like, what are we doing here? None of those colors even go together. Like, that thing's an eyesore. (laughs) I can't say it's any good. Um, You know, the one that I love is the Maple Leafs. I I just think that that's a really really timeless classic look. It looks, yeah, man. And I know it's not very different, but I'm just, I'm a sucker for like, the the old school design on these that that kind of stands out to me that one's really good um ones that really took a big swing that I thought were pretty cool Um, you know you they're not many of them that are okay none of them are that big of a swing but I like seeing Winnie the Pooh back I like that Bruins bear man I know it's hated by some people but I think it's really cool and I got sentiment right here see this jersey Frank this is mustard yellow. This is my draft jersey from the from Nashville Predators 2002. This jersey is ugly as can be. It's my draft jersey. I love it, but Nashville improved. That yellow with the Sabre Cat looks really good. What are your picks?
0: See, I would have liked if you put that Sabre Cat on a navy blue jersey. That would have looked really cool. Um, I think there's a few that are really well done. I like Detroit. I think that's really nice. I actually love the Tampa one, and it's not necessarily just because of the storm, which, you know, may or may not have bombed back in the day. I love the lettering. Um, I like the San Jose Sharks in a nod to the uh, California Golden Seals. People did not like the Kraken one, but I like it because the band and the idea of it is to harken back to the Seattle Metropolitans, which I thought was a nice touch. Uh, Vancouver Mm -hmm. with the Flying Canuck was good. I love the Dallas Stars one, but my absolute favorite on this entire board is actually the Washington Capitals. I love the Screaming really? Eagle and the lettering on it. It looks like I, I like the fonts and the Ugh. usage, like I, the Peter Bondra days, like they, they had some oh. awesome jerseys and I'm a big fan of the Screaming Eagle. I like the Rangers no. Lady Liberty too, but I don't like the color of the blue. If that makes any sense, I wish they would have just gone back to the Navy that works so well. I just thought some of these also absolutely bombed. Like the Canes one is, eh. um, yeah, what are we I doing? like Hey, I the, the Islanders' fish sticks, I like fish sticks. The, the Mighty Ducks is yeah. like, if you're going to do the Mighty Ducks thing, like why use these colors? Like go back to the originals. Yeah.
1: But, dude, we we missed a big one here, man. Cooperalls are back with the Philadelphia well, only for Flyers. When we
0: look at these, I don't care
1: if it's for warm-ups. Look at them. It's only because when players would hit the ice, they'd slide into the boards too hard. But those things looked terrible, but they're going to be unbelievable looking in, in warm-ups, dude. I'm all about this.
0: Look, I, I'm on the case, hot on the case as a big journalism story. I'm trying to find out in the last hour why they are not permitted to wear the Cooperalls in a game. That's that is my big mission for the day, and I probably need to get a. Aerodynamics. Life, haven't checked the lo- haven't checked the phone in a few minutes since we started, but uh, have a text that says, "Not sure. I'll look into it." So I will report back. This is big, big work in the journalism world. Let's get to icebreakers this week, Mike. <laughs>
1: Well, Frank, I'm hoping that we get a late breaking case when you find out why the Cooper on this week's icebreakers presented by DoorDash, but we do have some breaking issues that are probably a little bit more pertinent to the actual play on the ice, Frank. And uh, we heard that NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman said this week at the Board of Governors meetings that, I mean, the cap could go up four and a half million dollars, and that's going to directly play into what, you know, the players may be doing, paying it back. So what needs to happen in order for the cap to go up that much?
0: Well, here's what i found out a lot needs to go right when you look at this four and a half potential million dollar increase um in terms of this summer and because of that um you know a lot of people that i've spoken to in the last 48 hours tend to believe that the nhl's projection to have the cap go up um that much and the debt to be paid off this season uh as a bit rosy in terms of a projection I'm told that the players owe somewhere in the neighborhood of $400 to $500 million. So let's call it a ballpark $450 million as the start of this season as what they need to pay back. So what does revenue need to hit in order to pay that back? I'm told the NHL exceeded expectations last year. They were sort of hoping for a five or $5.2 billion season. And i was told that they ended up closer to 5.4 billion dollars in hockey related revenue so in order to pay that debt back they probably need to be in the range of somewhere between five and a half to 5.7 billion dollars in revenue and all of that is a lot to say you need to sell a lot of stuff in order to make that happen including tickets uh advertising all those different things jersey ad sales in order to really pump that number up. So there's gonna be a lot of heavy lifting in order to get that paid off. And the big reminder is if that debt is not paid off, the cap only increases by $1 million and then it would have to slide until the following year for the cap to really increase. So a lot of the teams and managers that I have spoken to said, yes, that would be amazing to have the cap go up that much. But at this point, we're not banking on it, and we're proceeding, moving forward as if the cap is only going to increase one million. And if it gets to that point, well, then we're all just uh, in a great spot moving forward.
1: Yeah, Frank, we've seen some pretty big injuries so far in this season, and we, you know, we already talked about Landeskog being out for the Avalanche. And take a look at the Florida Panthers. Learned yesterday that defenseman Eric Ekblad is going to be out for several months. It looks like for that club. Is there any way the Panthers are going to be able to bring in some reinforcements to fill that gap from their number one defenseman who's now going to be out for a while?
0: Well, I think there's no question that the Florida Panthers are looking around, but only for temporary stopgaps that are affordable. Are there some younger players out there that could potentially slide into our lineup and for the the foreseeable future as well that we'd be able to keep once Ekblad is back? that could be fits for our team. There's not very many of them out there. One of the names that we had spoken about previously was P.O. Joseph from the Pittsburgh Penguins, a team that's um, certainly in a spot where they have a lot of defensemen. uh, And I know that there were a number of teams that had made offers on P.O. Joseph, but the Penguins weren't ready or willing to move on. And so, the Panthers are in a spot where they're probably going to have to give some of their younger guys a chance to run with this, an opportunity to see whether guys like Lucas Carlson and Mac Kierstead can knock the door down and remain with this team before having to do something. The problem with Ekblad going on LTIR and this only being, you know, potentially a six-week injury or so, if that's the type of ballpark and timeline that they're dealing with, is that they have to account for him then coming back. So it's not like they can go out there and go shopping for uh, Jacob Chickren or someone that they could plug right into their lineup now. They also don't have a ton of future assets in order to make it work. So they're not really trying to go out and spend draft picks, I don't think, in order to fulfill a temporary stopgap solution. So all of that to say you're probably going to see the Panthers stick with what they have for a little bit.
1: That's tough to think about. They've already lost Mackenzie Wieger in the offseason, now Ekblad as well. That puts a big onus on Forsling and some of the other players that are in Florida to take up some of that at air. So the NHL, to me, Frank, is kind of in a sticky situation here going into the 2024 World Cup of Hockey in regards to the players that are from Russia. So what's the latest on whether those players are going to be able to take part in the tournament?
0: Mike, this was a topic of conversation at the Board of Governors meeting following the meeting with Deputy Commissioner Bill Daley and Commissioner Gary Bettman in that, what do you do? They've been looking for a solution. And one of the ideas that was raised was, do you treat the Russian players in this league, given the invasion of Ukraine and all that's uh, the fallout that's come from that, Do you just allow them to sort of play under the banner of similar to what they did in the Olympics with the doping scandal? They called it Olympic athletes from Russia. You have Russian players that participate in the World Cup of Hockey, but they don't get to use the Russian banner and Russian flag. And the interesting thing is Bill Daly had mentioned, hey, look that may not be suitable to the other European teams that are scheduled to be part of this tournament, the traditional hockey powers like Finland and Sweden and and go down the list, Czech Republic. We already saw the pushback from Dominic Hasek and the Czech Federation just about Russian players participating in the Premier Games in Prague to open this season. So the NHL is between a rock and a hard place. You can't actually have a best-on-best best tournament, which is what we've all been salivating for since the 2014 Olympics in Sochi, without having Russian players part of it. That's one, the tournament isn't as strong, two, without Russian players participating. And three, how do you handle this from a, a perspective of you wanna be fair to Russian players, most of whom have absolutely nothing to do with this ongoing invasion of Ukraine and are simply just wanting to play hockey? So they're in between a rock and a hard place. And while all of that's going on and trying to decide what to do with Russia, the league still has a ton of work to do with the Double IHF in terms of trying to pull off this tournament. Gary Bettman said after the Board of Governors wrapped, whatever that deadline is to get this tournament up and running for February, 2024, we are pushing against it. We're getting close to that point. So they need to make a lot happen. And it feels like there's been a lot that's been going on behind the scenes in order to do that. But nothing has come to fruition just yet and this russian situation i think plays a big part in that
1: well it makes me a little bit nervous it's starting to feel like the lead-up to the olympics last year or eventually just said well we're not going so i really hope that this happens because we all want to see best on best hockey hopefully that takes place in 2024. frank great job as always this has been icebreakers delivered by doordash you see the promo code at the bottom of the screen right now game day 25 that's going to get you 25 off your free and free delivery on your first order, all your favorites and more are delivered right to your door by DoorDash.
0: All right, Mike. Time for our daily face-off inbox question of the day. And after you've seen the Florida Panthers, the Buffalo Sabers, and others. They have their players selecting their own custom goal song. I love it. Go to a baseball game, you hear a player's walk-up song. My question to you is, even as a goalie, what would your goal song be if you were a scorer?
1: Well, I've just got to pull out my uh, my goal scoring stick that I scored in junior hockey when I was 17. it would have to be a right? Marth, my favorite band yeah well you know it's the first in the history in a north american league not really a big deal or anything uh it's probably the highlight of my life and everything went downhill after but uh i tell you what man it's it's my favorite band amana marth a bunch of swedish vikings it's a song called raise your horns uh dude it just rocks it's one of their kind of victory songs on tour and i live. was actually in the music video for this song if you'll believe it or not And so Mike's a metal guy. So
0: this is, dude, it, this fits perfectly.
1: Absolutely. So I met him a couple of years ago in Worcester mass post-show and um, some of the dudes play hockey in the band. So I'm curious to see what you have. Frank, it's probably not quite as metal as my choice.
0: Yeah, it's definitely not. Uh, you can give it a play, Alex. It's auto uh, it's million voices by Otto nose. Go ahead. And so the the reason for this, the reason why I picked the song is I think you want something that people can kind of sing along to or chant to in the arena. And I just feel like, you know, you hear the Seven Nation Army or all the different things that people, uh, you know, you want something that's going to stick and people sing along to. So that that's why I picked that one.
1: You just want to pump your fist, dude. Come on. Like the whole crowd. I could see it, yeah, man.
0: <laughs> it. Yeah. I, I don't think so. That was never me. Uh, but yeah, uh, fun to think about. I love the individual goal songs. You get to see a little personality from these players. Let's get to Tyler Ramchuk with our daily face-off points bet daily bets segment. How you doing, Tyler? How'd you do last night?
2: Uh, last night was actually pretty solid. I took two of three, but first off, my custom goal song, Cash In, Cash Out, 21 Savage and Pharrell Williams. I wanted to uh, get my pick in there as well. I felt left out. Um, I Um, We don't have it ready to play. Probably not safe for air either. I don't even know what it uh, anyways, is, so I'd
0: have to go look it up.
2: Yeah, give it a look up. Song of the Summer, Frank. Come on. Uh, It's a busy night tonight in the NHL. There are 12 games on tap, and I have a lot of bets. I am calling tonight Redemption Night. I'll let you know why. Let's get into it courtesy of our friends at PointsBet Canada. The Vegas Golden Knights let me down earlier in the season. I bet on them to cover the puck line the last time they were on home ice. They didn't do it. But I think they're going to do it tonight. Plus 120 on the puck line. They're taking on a Jets team that just went to overtime last night against Colorado. David Riddick is expected to get the start. Vegas is a good team. They're a good team on home ice. I like them to cover tonight. Mika Zibanejad to grab an assist. It is plus 100. This guy has four assists in four games. He's been hitting this pretty consistently. Um, He does have a couple of multi-assist games in there as well and he's taking on a team that's given up the 10th most goals against per game in the NHL in the San Jose Sharks. So I think that top line for New York keeps rolling. I'm taking zabanejad over half an assist. Also taking zabanejad's shot prop, he's averaging six shots a game. You can get him at over three and a half shots, paying out plus 120. That is way too good to pass up. And also Sidney Crosby has gotten an assist in every game this year, except for the one time I bet on him, so I'm going back to that well tonight. I'm taking Crosby minus 130 to get an assist. And while we were doing the show, I found a fifth bet tonight that I actually really like as well. Brent Burns has hit his shot prop in every game except for the one time I bet on him. So I'm going back to that well tonight because his line is set at two and a half. It's paying plus 100, and he's crushed it in two of his three games. So I'm taking a Burns over two and a half shots. at assist. at over three and a half shots. Crosby assist and Vegas Golden Knights to cover the puck line tonight Frank plus I'll get this off my chest quickly in about 30 seconds it's the 27th time ever that all four major North American sports have a game on the same night so this isn't one of my recommended plays but the over in Yankees Astros Arizona Cardinals to cover the spread and uh I'm going with the Milwaukee Bucks plus four and a half parlaying all those with the Rangers to cover the puck line plus 1300 not a recommended bet but I'm getting wild because it's uh the sports equinoxes they call it Frank
0: Tyler, my brain just exploded, and let me introduce you to the hotline of one eight hundred Gambler. As you just gave us nine plays, seek help, but thank you. Money bags, your Remchuck.
2: Oh, just man. doing my job.
0: What <laughs> kind of bankroll do you think we're dealing with here?
2: Ah, uh, the parlays fund. Just put like a dollar on it or something. It's plus thirteen hundred. Uh, okay. All right. I'm in. Uh,
0: take my money. Thank you to Tyler Ramchuk for our points bet daily bet segment. That brings us to garbage time with Mike McKenna. Mike, what's caught your eye from around the NHL?
1: Oh, classic two pad stack windmill for Martin Jones last night. He wasn't, his team didn't end up on the winning side of things last night with the crack, and the Blues ended up taking the victory. But this save, going old school, right to left, pads in the air. He actually saves it with his shoulder. It just, it, brought a big smile to my face you know what's funny frank is that they don't teach the save in goalie school anymore like it's not something it's kind of that frowned upon right instructors want to even teach, right but, but there is a time and place you still have moments in a game where it works it did for jones last night it has for me in the past during my career uh so every time it happens it just makes me happy and it just shows man like you need to have all the tools in the toolbox frank even if you don't learn it at goalie school it's something that you ought to be able to teach yourself and just have it in your back pocket. You never know when you gotta get creative on the ice.
0: It reminds me of one of my favorite movies of all time when I was a kid, Rookie of the Year. Chet Steadman, the pitcher, he comes out and he's coaching the rookie and he says, You got the have to. You know, you, you sometimes you gotta go to the have to, throw the have to. And he's like, What's the have to? He's like, When you have nothing else, that's what you have to use. And sometimes I feel like that's the two pad stack. You gotta, you gotta get there when you need it. So Awesome to work in a Rookie of the Year reference and uh, great work by you on today's Daily Faceoff Live. Technological issues in the first minute notwithstanding. Uh, Thanks to Tyler Remchuk for our Daily Bet segment and head of production, Alex Lard. That'll do it for today's show. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com for all the news, insight, and analysis from around the NHL. We'll be back with you 12 noon Eastern, a Friday edition of Daily Faceoff Live. Until then, have a great day, everyone.